Lloyd Thompson is the founder of Virtual DOO, a company that provides a fractional director of operations to online business owners to help them escape day-to-day -day operations and focus on strategy, relationships, and effective communication. In this episode, you will learn about fractional director of operations services and how they will benefit your business. Lloyd shares his expertise on symptoms that may indicate that you need a fractional DOO and how to help your team think for themselves. He also gives advice on reducing conflict within your team, as well as the importance of letting your team know your vision as a business owner. My beginnings of, of tech started uh, back when I would have been 12, out of desperation, because we had a family computer and uh, a neighbor came around and started installing, I think they were updating the operating system, and they opened up this black screen and started typing some wizardry into that. And I wasn't normally interested in this kind of stuff, but I saw all of these um, commands and things. And I thought to myself, when that person leaves, I think I'm going to type some of those commands in there. And so they left and I opened up this black screen and I started typing in some of my own magic spells and basically killed the family computer. <laughs> and <laughs> so my furious parents call up this guy again, a local friend, and he comes over and he, he types in some of these spells again. And I vow that I'm not going to do this again for about a week. Yeah. And then I start typing in these things. Now I really know what I'm doing, of course, and consequently stuff the family computer. And basically the next time he came over, he said, mate, if you're going to do this, read this book, which I later discovered was the MS-DOS 5 manual. Right. And, of course, I broke the computer a few more times, but that was how I got into what, what started being my career in IT. And I just, I'd started learning how to program at 12. And um, I eventually, yeah, became a computer programmer when I left school, when I went to university. And, um, and then later on, I'd been a, a tech leader in corporate world for, for about a – sorry, I'd been a programmer for about 10 years in corporate world and then eventually – moved into more like technical leading. And what I discovered is that particularly, I guess, in my technical surrounds, it was quite difficult for people to come to like a common understanding of what a problem was. Like how, how is everyone in the, in the room going to understand what the problem is and come together and how to solve it? And so I had a skill of basically making it easy for everyone to understand Really what was happening is I would have to have it dumbed down so much so the lowest common denominator in the room, that was me, could understand it. And by the time I understood it, everyone would be able to figure out what's going on. And so I just became comfortable with leading group problem-solving sessions and, um, and eventually my team grew and I had lots of uh, folks in, in different uh, remote locations. And so... Another 10 years of corporate went by and now I was leading large global teams, large uh, teams overseas. And there was never a thought in my mind that we really needed to have this kind of on-site management model. I don't need that line of sight model. And it became more and more apparent to me, and this was well before COVID, that what, why do I need to go to an office? Um, in another life, what was happening is I was going surfing before work when I moved to Australia, and that was my passion. And I just thought to myself, wouldn't it be great to just be doing more of this instead of the local, instead of the commute? And one day 
I was um, I was talking to someone in the surf. In fact, I should go back a little bit here again. I had started giving out surf reports for fun maybe a year before this and posting pictures of what the, t- what the sea was doing on Instagram and started attracting a few people who were just, oh, it's two to four foot at freshwater today. And it was just for fun. I wasn't, no intention of making money out of this and I don't. And I, I had a few followers and one day I was in the sea and I recognized one guy who was a business coach. And so I paddled over to him. I said, hey, I think you're the business coach guy who follows me, right? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm the, I'm the business coach guy. <laughs> and I said, you know, I, I really quite like to find a way that I can get out of corporate world and um, work flexibly, like work from any location. And, uh, you know, I, I manage large remote teams and, um, you know, I'm confidently leading people and overseeing projects and operations and driving process improvement. That's what I do. Is there a business opportunity for me? And he said, yeah, I think there is. Yeah, with your skills, I think I think you could do something. And he directed me to a book called Rocket Fuel. And I hadn't heard of that. And Rocket Fuel describes the interaction between what they call the visionary and the integrator. And the visionary is the classic CEO type, the face of a business who um, focuses on strategy and relationships and uh driving new business and the integrator is more of the person who is more behind the scenes runs the team and all of those things i just said before so uh runs the team uh drives process improvement and overseas project and operations i thought that's me i'm an integrator so i hadn't really been familiar with that term integrator it sounds like a technical term but basically um with the guide of this business coach I resigned from my corporate job a couple of years ago now and started my, what is now my business virtual virtual DOO. And it started off as just me. I was the, the sole director of operations in my business. And the key thing here is it's fractional. So I was referred a, um, a guy who had a large e-commerce business. And so I was... Um, helping him run his team and all of those things I just mentioned before, overseeing projects and operations and process improvement. And then I got another customer, uh, an, e- uh, an SEO client, and then eventually an- another client, also sort of in the marketing space. And then when I got referred, my when I had a, a word was getting around about the services I was offering, I when I got to four, I realized that I couldn't do this alone. I was biting off more than I could chew. So I hired myself uh, a team member who was located in the Philippines to help me take on some of the work that I was doing. And then eventually when I got my next client, I also hired another director of operations. And so now I'm I'm at the point where, um, you know, I have clients located in Australia and UK and America, and I have uh, a handful of director of operations based out of the U.S., and a small team in the Philippines. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's how it all began. We, we service busy online uh, business owners, mainly in the marketing space, but it's been from anything from e-commerce, SEO, relationship therapy, property management, you name it. The point is if they are an online business with a team and the owner 
wants to get out of the daily operations so they can focus on strategy and relationships, then we can help them. And that's what we've done. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you're helping a business to run more efficiently as well as, you know, saving them money technically, because that way the person that owns the business isn't, you know, wasting their time doing things that aren't good for them or, you know, they're not best at. They're able to go and do whatever it is they're best at sales, marketing, and you're there to make sure all the systems and teams are working the way they should or the way that you guys believe they should. Yeah, you, you've got it. Um, I, I think... The classic, uh, say, avatar of, of the person I work with are uh, the reason I say a, a marketers was a classic type of uh, business that we support is because quite often marketers are high visionary and they're a super creative person who can have a bazillion ideas. Many many have ADHD, and that's not taking anything away from them. That's like they're that's where they've got all of these bazillion ideas and that's probably helped them create their business because they've just got so much creativity but the challenge they have is they want to spin 100 plates and end up not cooking any of them or not cooking the important ones and so we come in and we help them choose what okay which of these items is going to move the needle the most and if i think about that e-commerce owner he was very much this high visionary type he was working 16 hour days and he was scattergunning the team with tasks and that's really hard for them because the team members are unable to get into a piece of work and they're they're constantly getting re-diverted to work on other things and it feels like the emergency department there the business owner doesn't know another way they they're just running on adrenaline it's their business so we come in and help them and put in rhythms. So, um, and the, the couple of key things are there. We're putting in rhythms to run their business, like meetings, and um, also getting rid of, if there are pointless meetings, get rid of them because we don't like a meeting for make it, meeting's sake. Mm. And the person running those rhythms is not the founder. So they might be with us in the beginning to just help get us a bit of information, but we come in, run the rhythms of the business. So what that might look like is a weekly prioritization meeting with the founder where we'll say, okay, well, we think these items are going to move the needle the most based on what we're seeing so far. And then they get to say, oh, actually, priority number four seems more important than what you've got as number one. So they get to have a say in that. And so this is a weekly meeting between the founder or business owner and, and our director of operation. And then another meeting we might do, or we would do, is a weekly team meeting. And the purpose of that is to get a handle on what the reds and greens are in the business. So some aspect of measuring what's going on. So oh, what are the sales numbers or what are the marketing numbers or what are the financial numbers or what are the operational reds and greens? And so we're, we're doing that so that when we can get a handle on uh, – and, of course, this thing, if you're coming into a business fresh, you're not going to immediately know what's red and what's green. You're going to start by measuring and giving a number or scorecarding things. And um, eventually you, you get to know, oh, above this many sales call a week, that's a green. Oh, below that, not so good. You know, you get a feeling or a handle of what's going on. So you'd want to run a weekly meeting and get a handle of the reds and greens. And then basically 
when we know what the reds are, that feeds back into the first meeting. It goes, well, it helps us decide our priorities. And then it gets uh, at the highest level, it gives a, um, a clear indicator of what that director of operations is going to spend their time on next. Like how do we make these reds a green? Do we need more money? Do we need to improve the process? Do we need to automate something? Is the person who's running that area the right person? Do they need more support? You know, all of these kind of things. So that's, that's it at the highest level. And there's a couple more things I've, I've skipped over, like, you know, running uh, retrospective meetings so that when, you're, when something doesn't go right and it's caused a red, getting an understanding of the, the process and mapping it out as having a baseline that we can work from because we don't tear up what's there in the beginning. We'll go there, map out what's there. A lot of the time these business owners don't have a clear set of operational procedures mapped out either, so we'll get those mapped out. And then they're a baseline for change. So when something doesn't run so right, you can go back to that baseline and work with the team and go, all right, what part of this process do we want to change? Oh, yeah, we'll just change this bit or add a new step in here or so forth. So we can go back and constantly and constantly improve. So that's a really sort of high-level view of of how we um, run rhythms. Yeah, and you're coming in kind of between, not between, but, you know, supporting the founder's vision being implemented with the team and then the team's kind of work being communicated with the founder or, the, you know, the, the C-level type people. I'm wondering how do you kind of make sure that, you know, the communication isn't kind of, tainted or changed in a way where you you know the founder said oh i want to raise sales and then you go to the marketing team and be like go out there and get us more leads he's like no i want more sales and you're like no we ne- we know you need to get more leads <laughs> before you get more sales you know how do you make sure that that whole communication process stays in the rhythms yeah yeah so we're i think to make clear in this model we're not um we're not saying that the the founder is go- is gone from the business. We're just mm. trying to get them out of the daily operations, so they're still absolutely welcome to communicate with everyone. But mm. what we want to do is create a channel that flows through our director of operations. So, um, yes, we'd have a weekly prioritization meeting, and that's just with them. And generally, a lot of these online business will have some channels that run on Slack, something like that, some kind of chat channel, Teams or Google Chat, whatever, and. Um, yes, the instructions from the day-to-day would come from that director of operations, but it, it, it's not excluding the founder should they be, uh, you know, should there be any um, further need to explain something. So they can still be in the channels and go in, and if there ever, ever needs to be any, revert back to the founder and say, is this what we've really meant? So it might look like this. It might look like the founder has a channel uh, in Slack, a place where they have, um, the director of operations and maybe the heads of, and they can issue instructions there. Most of the time, we eventually want to try and restrict that conversation as much as possible so it's coming from the director of operations. But just to make clear, the founder's not completely out of it. You know, we still want them involved because we want them to drive the strategy and and build those new relationships. And we still want them to be that that high visionary leader who defines what the culture is for the business. So that's not lost. Yeah. So it's how, not like they're completely you, taking a holiday. Or how do you define your culture? Oh, that's a that's a tricky one, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess it starts with having core values about what's important to you, um, and 
where every time possible. And, and, and I guess it's, it's great having words, but really you've got to live it. Mm. So for me, and, and your values aren't necessarily set in stone either. Mine have actually evolved. Like when I've had new team members come in, um, they've said, oh, this seems really important to you and you talk about it a lot. Should this be a cool value for you? I'll give you an example. So in my business, I used to have, and I've changed it recently, I used to have a core value of fun because I'd always talk about it. I'd say, you know, when you're talking with a customer, it's really important to build rapport. If you can put in some humor, it's great. You know, talk to them as if they're a friend. We're not corporate world anymore. Mm. Um, And the same with me. I want you to enjoy working here in this business. I want you to enjoy the conversations we have. And it's really important that when we first have a chat, like maybe just be as authentic as you can, but, Maybe before we get into what we need to do, just say, how are you going? Because that person might have had an awful day. And mm. um, let's just get into that. So one of my team members said, oh, why don't you put fun in there? So fun became a core value. And then uh, I, I eventually changed that myself. It was a captain called in this case to be um, heartfelt and humor because I mm. think it's important to just have that extra layer. Like I really do think it's more than just having fun. It's really... Um, so it's it's about having some defined things, but also living them as well. Mm. So um, a, a couple more. I'm not going to give you a war and peace on my values. There's only four, but <laughs> I've got another one, which is um, constant Kaizen. So always making small changes for the better, both in my business and and, and others. Um, uh, this is this is one I've I've I probably need to retitle it. So I had someone um, giving me telling me a joke about this the other day, but I've got one which is grab it and run with it. And um, the idea that that's talking about ownership, you know, this is like, this is yours. I really want you to run, take the initiative, you own it. So that's talking to my team. But I'm also, I'm not throwing you completely in the deep end. I'm here to support you. If you've got any questions or anything along the way, or you want my two cents on it, I'm here. I'm not throwing you in. And the other day, someone was saying, it sounds a bit like smash and grab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You take grab it some run. stuff from the job. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering how do you how do you empower people to kind of you know quote unquote grab it and run with it you know how do you allow people to do that I guess it's it's trust isn't it Oh great question um I I I I'll put this in the context of um a frustration that some business owners come to me with which is they say oh why am I making all the decisions in this business Oh, isn't that common sense? That's a question I've seen a few times. And I say, well, you, as the business owner or founder, you might actually be the problem. And uh, what? And the thing is, if when, when people are coming to you with a problem or looking for a decision and you just give them what you see as the answer, you're training them to do that every single time. Oh, I'll come to Lloyd, he'll give me the decision. So you need to do, uh, you need to effectively switch to coaching. And first uh, set the tone that when someone comes to you with a problem that you want them to have a crack at what the solution might be and you need to make it a safe place. So in the beginning, it takes a bit of effort. You could just say, oh, here's your decision, off you go. It does take effort to do this. But what you might do is ask them questions that will lead them. So in your mind, you might have a solution. And you would have asked yourself some questions or answered some questions to get to what that solution is. And so you can ask 
your team member the same questions to help them arrive somewhere. Now, I don't hold on to what my solution is because you through asking them questions might find that they've answered answered them differently and they've come up with a better solution than you have and great. Like that's what you want. You, you, you want the outcome. You don't necessarily need that exact solution. And so that's how I use coaching to help my team um, become more, uh, you know, take the initiative. But as I said, if you do that, you need to make it, you need to make it a safe place. You need to expect that people are going to make mistakes. They're human. I make mistakes. And um, I've, I've had to deal with this. This comes up a lot. I've had to deal with this. Um, like culturally, I have a team in the Philippines. And it, I noticed first in corporate world when I inherited a large team years ago that in the Philippines, it's a very service-based culture. And they're very as a culture, they seem to be very agreeable. And I, and I personally, I, I like, I love working with the Philippines culturally as well as technically in terms of their level of education out there is brilliant as well. But one problem I had is that they were so agreeable that even if you were sure what you were saying is probably the wrong way to go, they'd agree with you. And so I had to break that. And so I would say to my team, like, Hey, if, if I say something that's stupid, I'm going to be upset if you let me do it. So I'm going to play a game here, right? Occasionally, I'm going to put out an idea that's so ridiculous. I want you to tell me, Lloyd, like, no, that's not a good idea. I'm testing you. And sometimes it won't be a test. I generally will come up with a ridiculous idea. And I want you to just say, Lloyd, don't do this. And so that's how I train into the team. Like, you know, this is, I want you to be able to feel confident that you can drive your own solutions and suggest ideas and feel empowered and about making these decisions it's a thing where you can choose how you when you zoom in and zoom out so you might start by giving them a little bit of autonomy and an easy example of that is financial autonomy so you might say you know if the decision costs less than a few hundred dollars per month that's your quota you go for it and if you see that working well, then you can say, okay, you've now got $1,000 a month and so forth. You can increase, increase, increase. If you can see a pattern where it's not been working well, then you lower that limit and you zoom in further. So that that's how I've done that kind of thing. Um, and you asked me about culture and values earlier. How that plays into it is um, in my business, I've, I've got a, um, as I said, I've got that value, grab it and run with it, which is about ownership and initiative. And you can use that as a reminder. You can use your values as a reminder when you're talking with people about good and bad behaviors or behaviors that you're hoping are the right way. So for example, if someone does something that, that led initiative and you see that as a good example, then I celebrate that openly in the team. I'm saying, oh, wow, like, our team member so-and-so um they took it upon themselves to uh redefine how our marketing process works like they saw an opportunity for improvement they thought they would try it and um it may have worked it may not have worked but the initiative was positive and now we know whether this works or doesn't work so i'll publicly celebrate that and that tells and communicates to everyone what the cult what, what the culture we're looking for is if it's an example where, you know, um, someone's coming to me again and again 
with a problem and I haven't explained, perhaps it's me, right? Perhaps I've not explained clearly to them the framework for how I'm making these decisions. But if they're coming to me again and again, then I might say, hey, you know, privately, what I was hoping for was, you know, how we take initiative or come when you have a problem, come with a solution or have a crack at it. You're not always going to get it right. Then that's what I'm expecting. So that's how you can use your values as a, as a training, you know, publicly celebrate when it's good, privately have a conversation when it's not right and lead by example. Because right. if you've got a value of heartfelt and humor and you're a tyrant, how can they possibly expect that to be there? Like this guy is just making up some rules and never believes in these things himself. So that's how I uh, instill culture in a business. And when you're kind of working with other companies, obviously you're bringing your culture to their culture and you're not trying to impose your way of doing things onto them. But how do you ensure that the businesses you're working in work in a healthy way where, you know, the teams aren't fighting against each other and then the founders not fighting with team members and all that kind of stuff. How do you kind of keep that cohesion going between everybody that's involved with each other? Um, So first thing we do when we go into a business is we'll we'll be interviewing the business owner and asking them things like, you know, what's your vision and what are your values? And I must admit quite a lot of the time, that needs to be rethought out. You know, I've been in, I've been somewhere where they've got ten core values, and I'm like, okay, great, what are they? And the business owner can't even come up with their own core values. Like ten, yeah. <laughs> you know, three to five that really matter to them. That if I could ask you at any time, that's really important. Not just like cliche words, like just what's really, really important to you about the culture. So it would help them define that. And make it clear to that because the founder might need some support and training and coaching too uh, so that they they know, right, okay, these are the values we live in. But then we communicate to that team, like this is what it really is and we will do our very best to go in line with what whatever that culture is. Of course, it is a, a natural thing in businesses that there's not everyone's going to be singing off the same hymn sheet. People are going to have different views. Um, I've I've got different ways of dealing it. Like leading teams is not like a black and white, hard and fast rules. Like you've got to be a little bit flexible. There's there's guidances of you know th- strategies you can use with people. But for example, a lot of disagreements between people I see are based on communication. And actually, part of it is, I would say, to blame is offline communication. Right. So um, if sometimes someone reads something in text and it doesn't carry the tone of how it was said to be, how it was meant to be said. Mm. And so I might send a message to Sam and Sam reads it and he's like, what is this this guy? Like, What's his problem? And then you, Sam sends a message back and it's, when I read it, it's got a tone that doesn't seem quite right either. And I, and then the next the, the next thing, there's a, a negative exchange going on. So generally, I look to put install some simple rules of engagement, and these are just things that I've come across that I've that have worked over the years for me. They're not necessarily, um, you know, a classic uh, management technique, but simple thing that I do here is if there are two people have an exchange, I have a rule 
if you if you think the next message you're going to send is going to be a disagreement, just pick up the phone and call the other person first and try and work it out. Just before it gets escalated to someone who's the director of operations, just ha- promise me the rule I'm asking for is promise me you're actually going to try and call that person, work it out. If you've had that call and still can't work it out, then fair enough. Now this is a time where the director of operations can step in and an arbiter, if you like, and mediate and hear both sides and work it out. And so that's another role of this director of operations. They're leading people. They can be that arbiter. They can you know, be that medium that communicates with the team and hopefully take them to a bit more of a warm and fuzzy place. And another benefit of this is that it's saving that business owner a whole lot of emotional bandwidth because done properly, you do need to be in it with your team. Like you can't just, you know, here's an order, here's a thing. You're trying to build autonomy. And actually our ultimate goal of being a director of operations is to make ourselves redundant. Like if it's if if things are running smoothly, we're we're it should be running on autopilot. Like the processes should be humming along nicely. It's all greens on the dashboard. The team are running in a nice rhythm. It takes a while to get there. You know, it goes back to what you said about culture. And um, I think it was a Henry Ford quote, like culture eats strategy for business. The strategy is like the decision-making, high-level decision-making, where do we want to go? And the culture is like, the framework of what our values are. And if you manage to install like, hey, this is our framework of thinking into the business, people can go on autopilot and go, yeah, I know I know what would be a good way to go. I can have that level of autonomy. When it's a red in this area, I'm going to think, what can I do to improve the process rather than immediately coming back and going, red flag, help, what are we going to do next? So there's there's so much in there that can be done to add value to these businesses. When you mentioned red flags there, it made me think of a part of your book, which I found quite interesting, which is obviously related to this whole conversation, but might feel like a bit of a handbrake turn. What is this thing about not letting employees hold your business hostage? Because we're talking about openness and communication and all that kind of stuff. And that is not what goes down in a hostage situation. So I'm wondering wondering how that relates to being a director of operations. Yeah. uh, Look, Unfortunately, I do come across a situation where there is a bad apple, someone in the business that's not playing ball. And you can normally find out quite quickly who this is. Like as as a business owner, if you've got your values mapped out and you as the business owner are really living these values, then I recommend this simple exercise. List out your team members and list the values across the top. And then just do a little tick, tick, tick to see who really lives and adheres to these values. And if you look across there and see, oh, yeah, this person doesn't take initiative or uh, this person uh, doesn't take ownership or they're not connecting with a heartfelt, humorous way or whatever is important to you, it's going to be pretty clear who belongs on the bus and who doesn't belong on the bus. And quite often, I mean, I point painted a bit of a warmer, fuzzier picture of that. But it can be you've got someone who's in a position of, of power, like they've got all of this knowledge and they, they're not sharing it. Uh, I, I say they've built a black box. Like what's going on in there? You don't know. And 
as a result, you started to build up more and more dependency on this person and then they're able to, uh, it's almost blackmail. They can get things from you, you know, and say, oh, actually, no, I'm not going to, um, you know, I, I don't think I can run this event, you know, no, I'm, you know, whatever. So you kind of need to remove those key person risks. And the way you do that is you get those processes understood. Like ideally in your business, key processes should be known by more than one person. Mm. So um, that's why it's important to systemize your business. So I think McDonald's is the classic example. They've created a template for a business that can be repeated again and again and again and again. So you want to be able to create like a template for your business so that all of your processes are mapped out. And if you've got someone who's not sharing, this is a difficult situation. You need to get them to start sharing. And it starts by trying to move them into to other areas and tr- start mapping out their processes and and sharing those responsibilities between more and one person. And if there is genuine, you know, and it starts with going back to what I was talking about earlier with giving them some frank, honest feedback as well. Mm-hmm. It might not land well, but it's it's a necessary evil, you know, using your values like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. Is this what you're seeing? You know, providing those feedback. And, there's, and when the opportunity is right, if they're not turning around, if they're not coming back, if they're not playing ball, you want these people out of your business ASAP because once you've got, one bad apple, it, it can spoil the bunch because other people see, oh, why why is uh, Fred allowed to behave in this way? Like Fred seems to have all this leverage. Fred does what on earth he wants. Then they start thinking, or yeah, well, maybe I maybe I'm going to start behaving like that. You know, this person just ignores the rules and does what they want. So you you need to act quickly. And um, I, I can't say this is difficult. So, so this is this is not easy to do because. These people do have power over you until you can get these processes shared. But what you need to do is, as much as possible, do it in a more positive way. So try and get them onto more. And there might be a reason for their behavior, trying to get them onto more interesting, newer things like what are the areas they want to work on, understand these things, but share off the other knowledge they have, like get those key processes documented. And that's another section in your book, which is about cashing in on needs, interests, and kind of individual goals and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, thanks for raising that. Um, So you get the best out of people when they're doing things that interest them. Mm. And so you can't expect the people leader to be a psychic, but you can't also expect them to have told you exactly what's in their mind. Just have a chat with them and find out. And so I'll give an example in my business. I, I, I've got a team member who um, he said what he really enjoys doing is video editing. And um, so I have what I call infinity tasks, which is, you know, when, when you've finished all of this stuff, if there's nothing left over to do, yeah. then the infinity tasks are like the hobby projects that right. may come off somewhere. So in my business, uh, my infinity tasks are going back through all of, say, my podcasts, and looking for a snippet of wisdom which we might crop and put out on social media. Mm. And so he said, yeah, he would love to do more stuff like that. So now he's taken over from me. I used to be the guy doing the socials. He's taken over from me 
does my video editing as it adds in all of the uh, special effects and subtitles. He absolutely loves it. So it's about finding out what's important to people and you're not necessarily always going to know what's in people's minds. So it's best to just ask it. And then when people are doing what's important to them, you get the most out of them. You'll find that they're more productive, they're happy. Uh, it, it's the opposite of the bad apple. They're likely to be someone who stays with you for the long haul. It's it's worth more than money in a lot of cases. If someone's happy somewhere and they like doing what they're doing, then they're not going to be so transactional about saying, I just want more money, just give me more money. That's not why they're there. They're like there because they like their culture and they like the work they're doing and they like working with you and they like working with the team rather than going somewhere that's an unknown beast where they're going to a new place. What's the culture going to be? Are there, is there going to be disagreements? What am I going to be working on? So, um, yeah, that's, it's really important to just have that conversation early on. Like when I go into a business, typically I'll ask people, what are your, what are your pain points? Like give me your top three challenges. I'll ask everyone from the founder, everyone in the team. Mm. And then I say what's working well. But I also get to understand, like, what do you like to do? Like, what really interests you? What are the, what are your passions? Because then, if I know that, then I can look at all of the challenges that people are having and find the top challenge that seems to be the common denominator between people. And we can get that put. I can raise that with a founder and say, look, this is a challenge that everyone's really been talking about. Can we just can we prioritize this and get this done? It's gonna it's gonna really make the team feel happier. And then we know, oh, okay, Fred's been working on this thing, but what he really wants to do is this. Uh, in the next piece of work that we've got, perhaps Fred can take the lead on this or can, perhaps Fred can be involved in this particular thing. And so ha- had that conversation not taken place, nothing would have ever changed for Fred. He'd have been carrying on doing his thing. He might have been, he might have been one of those people that had put his hand up and said, hey, you know, I really want to be doing this. But unless you've instilled that in the culture, it's not going to happen. So it's really important to have those conversations, let them know it's a safe place, you know, build that kind of culture. Yeah. And when you're putting yourself in these businesses, you're, you know, you're there to make things better, keep improving things. But also I want to know about times where, you know, you guys might've come in and done something wrong. How do you guys kind of rectify that? Because you're meant to come in and be this angelic presence, but we can't be perfect all the time. Nobody's perfect, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I like to hear about yeah. sometimes when things go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, early in my business, uh, I, I was that director of operations. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned is that it's hard to also change the di- it's hard to change the director of operations. Eventually, I had to extract myself out. It's not easy to do. I did do it for two out of my three clients. But people build a rapport with you. They, they get to know, in my case, Lloyd's way of doing things. Mm. And then you put in someone else. And although they might be following your, your framework and your style, there's still how they interact with people. And what I've discovered is that it's a bit – it's putting in the right director of operations is a bit like dating. So the visionary is going to have one way of doing things, one style, and the director of operations is another style, and they need to be complementary. Similarly, the team, you need, to, you need to have those conversations and understand like what the culture is in the team. And so for one of my customers, they were, um, I'm going to say the culture of that business was very short and sharp and 
they'd prefer to make a decision quickly, even if it was wrong, turn around and make a mistake, go the other way. I actually quite like that. They, they don't mind testing things. But they're very they're quite short with each other. And um, this business, by the way, it's like sells like male grooming products and they're all very sort of barbarian-like people, you know. And I had installed a director of operations who was more of like a touchy-feely, like more of like what's going on, tell me what you're thinking, wants to do more analysis. And what I've come to learn is that, you know, they, they just could not get this guy. Like I ended up coming back in myself, just could not get that guy. So that was not a winner. But then putting him somewhere else where another business which was in way more, it was a coaching business. Their clients are way more touchy-feely. So the whole culture of that business, before they make a decision, they want to have lots of like heartfelt conversations to, to really understand things before they go any further. He was a perfect fit for that business. So that was a, that was a mistake I made early on. It's not always going to be perfect um, and you need to have that gel relationship to you know move on to the next step and trust before you can go any further and how do you ensure that you you don't make that mistake putting the wrong person in the wrong place you know again because obviously you said you know it doesn't happen all the time but it can happen but how do you you know minimize that 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 kind of risk when i when i talk to the founder i mean the benefit of my team is i do have my team are fractional so what it means is my director of operations often have capacity for more than one client. Mm. And so it means that quite often I've got more than one option I can pick from. You know, I've got, no, I've not just got, oh, so and so is available. You get so and so. When I go to the team, I can say, okay, what's the style in the team? I can have a few conversations, have, have a conversation with the founder. You know, how do you, and then with the best knowledge that I've got through meeting the team or meeting the founders, I'll put someone in. Now, quite you, you're not necessarily going to... That's your best that you can do from the beginning. Like how far can you do that before you put someone in? Mm. You, you know, you've got to just go with your best feel from what you understand. But it is like a dating game. You need to take a risk. Worst case scenario, they're only we're a month-to-month business, so they're only ever for us, with us for you know on a month-to-month basis. So if they decide, look, no, I really don't want to do this, I'm out. Or the other option is they say, you know what, can we try someone else? And we say, yeah, sure, we've got someone else in the business. And if that doesn't work, then fair enough. They're only, they've only you know, invested a month of their uh, in trying to get someone in. So, yeah, it's, it gives them many options to put, put different players in. We've only, we've only had to change a couple of times, but that's not always been because of, um, you know, it's not always been because of, uh, disagreements shall we say or different styles we've had cases where um in, in my case they've said we want way more capa- we want way more capacity can we dial right up so we've mm. then put in another player and then i've said well i really like i like this style more than that style and we're like okay well we'll reassign this other person onto another project you'll get more of that person so yeah that's how we do things but the hard and fast answer is so you could you could do your best, but you have to start at some point, and it's not always going to be perfect. Yeah, and you've been running this business now for how long? Sorry, it's only two years, two so it's pretty years. fresh. Okay, yeah. so you're a post-pandemic baby business, as I as I like yeah. to call it. <laughs> and 
I've I've got to say, actually, in some ways, the the pandemic did quite a bit for my business because mm-hmm. it showed people. I was already a long a believer that you can manage teams remotely. I don't mm-hmm. believe in line of sight management, mm-hmm. and I I believe you know a fair day's work for a fair day's pay, mm-hmm. and that if you find out what people's outputs are periodically, that you don't need to go down to the micro level of what have you done for this hour, hour, hour. You're just going to create a culture of um, people feeling like they're watched down to the tiniest degree and they're not going to enjoy that. So the pandemic with people working remotely made remote management, what we do, much more appealing to people and accepted and but don't get me wrong, I still come across different thinking. Mm. I had this classic example where um, there's this software out there. I'm going to name and shame it. It's called Time Doctor, right? And right. what you can do, and so, sure, it's a great tool, but you can screen record what people are doing. So yeah. I'm working at my desk. I've got Time Doctor in, installed, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to show them what's going on on my desktop at the same time. And so I've worked with businesses where they're using that to record what's going on the person's screen. I say, don't do that. Like you're interested in their outputs. You're not interested in, you know, Mm. people are going to, it's a truth. Someone is going to do a bit of internet banking or whatever occasionally while they're at work. Like life goes on. Mm. And I had a business owner come to me and say, I've got Time Doctor installed and I found out this guy's watching Netflix. And I said, well, okay, but what's his output like? You know, is his output good? Is it good quality? You know, yeah, it's fine. I'm like, well, don't do that. Like, you didn't need to know all that. Yeah, you don't need to know that. And how does it make them feel? Like, it, mm. if and I think the make matters worse. This guy was actually a contractor, so I'd be like, I mean, if the plumber comes around and fixes tap, you don't stick a GPS tracker on his vehicle, do you? You're yeah. like, you just care if the tap gets fixed. Exactly. So yeah. you get you get some interesting challenges. So for you, you're, you're technically a, a new business, you're a young business. How do you kind of plan to grow and scale things? And, you know, what is your kind of vision for your company, just so that the listener knows and can catch up with you in the future? Yeah, thanks. Um, I, firstly, like, I really, personally, I love what I do because I really like helping people. Going back to how I started when I was that guy fixing my family computer. I'm a problem solver. I love helping people solve problems. I'm probably not as ambitious as many business owners out there who want a a huge business. Actually, I don't want that. This is very much lifestyle focused, not just for me, but for my team and for the clients. Like I, I just want, I've got a handful of good customers and I'm happy with that. A few more is great to fill the capacity. But at this stage, I just want my vision to be I've just got a handful of good, happy customers where things are running smooth, my team are happy, and things are humming along nicely, like a nice, high-quality boutique service. And, yeah, sure, there, there may be bumps in the road, but that's that's where I'm taking it. So um, really high-quality, good relationships with the business owners and I've done a little bit of pro bono coaching I'd like to do a little bit more of that like I'd like to do a little bit more support for people because I feel like I've been really lucky to get where I am I really want to not just help business owners find more time and get out of it I also want to help other people 
get to being able to have more freedom. Like it's been so lucky that I've been able to do this and been given this opportunity. I'd like to help more people. And what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy? I think seeing seeing people get more time and seeing the solutions get seeing things get solved. Like it's it's really the problem solving. Like I I feel like I was liberated, strong word. I was liberated from my corporate job. Like, don't get me wrong, it wasn't hell in corporate, but it was a routine, you know, heading to work every day on the commute. Uh, and now I've got so much more freedom. And a lot of business owners, they just get sucked in and they don't know how to get out. And it might be simple to me um, how to put in these processes and how to help them get themselves out. But that allows them so much more time. So I love solving problems. I love, uh, and that doesn't just help the business owner. It helps their team. Like when I talked about this guy who was running the e-commerce, he was doing 16-hour days and scattergunning the team every day with tasks. That wasn't fun for them. It wasn't fun for him. It makes it put in some rhythms like, hey, we know what you're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks. We're going to work on this campaign. We're all going to row in the same direction. Everyone feels a bit more calm. You know, you see the results. Everyone feels a bit more happy, you know. I I think this works in online businesses, smaller, nimble online businesses, more in corporate because you're able to make changes a lot quicker. Like you're able to just go back to the founder and say, hey, I think we should do this. This is the reason why. And they go, yeah, that makes sense. Let's just do it. They, they just want to make a decision quick. Whereas in corporate, it's like you need a... Uh, a myriad of blessings from above and above and above and everyone to rubber stamp it and then someone needs to scratch their chin before a decision gets made. Where can the people find you online? If you go to virtualdoo.com, you can find me there. I'm actually giving away my um, Amazon book, uh, which is The Nine Ways to Leave Your Daily Operations, Day-to-Day Operations, uh, which you can also find on Amazon. So if you go to virtualdoo.com slash book, you can get PDF for free. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.